And so in order to make the whatever wrong, to make it right, they would proclaim a fast and God would reveal who the problem was or what the problem was. And so she does this under this pretext of a fast. She brings in Naboth and she exalts him and then has two men come in. And I love just how biblical she is. She even uses the Jewish law to accomplish her filthy deed. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today we learn that Jezebel proclaimed a fast. The idea was that some evil or calamity came upon Israel and a scapegoat had to be found for the evil. Jezebel intended that Naboth be revealed as the scapegoat. This was a treacherous plan, first to set him in a high place of honor, and then to destroy him with lies from the mouths of scoundrels. They did so by accusing him of blaspheming God and the king. Naboth was completely innocent of such accusations and was murdered without cause. The stoning of Naboth over a piece of land for a vegetable garden showed the brutal character of Jezebel and Ahab. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. It's through these things, God wrote, he allowed his word to be written such that it would be for our nurture and our admonition. It's supposed to be our schoolmaster, our tutor. And every one of these attitudes that we see, they're written here because this is human nature. This is man at his best in his fallen nature. And yet God says, well, that's all fine and good. Actually, it's not fine and good. You need to be born again. And see, that's the whole process and the whole doctrine of redemption. That's what the Bible's all about. It's a book of redemption from beginning to end, from the law being lost in the garden to the salvation at the very end. It's it's a book of redemption. And so it's wonderful to see ourselves in these characters and if you resemble any of these traits any of these things or maybe you have in in a certain time of your life maybe your thing was uh whatever bikes you know motorcycles cars uh, whatever it can, can be and it, those things can be an idol to you and maybe in a former life meaning several decades ago maybe you were one of those people we have to be careful that covetousness will turn to, because that's what it is, it's idolatry. But notice in verse 3, Naboth said to Ahab, I, I, Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father. See, the property, Naboth's property doesn't only belong to him, but it belongs to his family, his tribe that he belongs to as an inheritance. Turn with me, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 25. Or if you want to, just write this reference off on the side of your Bible, and and I'll read it to you. But we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter twenty-five. It's a, a you know fairly lengthy passage, not not too bad. We're going to look at beginning at verse twenty-three. But in Leviticus chapter twenty-five, beginning in verse twenty-three, it says this, and this is 
the crux of the whole matter. This is why Naboth can't give the land, because evidently Ahab wanted the land for his own, and, and not to give it back to him, and we'll see why that is. Notice, the land shall not be sold permanently, the, the, the Lord says, for the land is mine, and you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But he, if, he, if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of jubilee that's a 50 years and in the jubilee it shall be released and it, he shall return to his possession and so i'll just stop there but the idea is is in order to keep the land in the in the specific tribes they wouldn't sell land to other tribes but what they would do is they would lease it that's really what it is. You would lease land to somebody, but after 50 years of you farming that land and using the produce off of that land, you would also be paying rent. Uh, well, you, you, would, you would pay the owner of that land a certain amount of money for those, for those 50 years. And you'd farm the land and get all the increase of it. But at the end of those 50 years, the land would not go to the guy who leased it it would go back to the guy who originally owned it. And that way God would keep the land and all of the different tribes, keep them in their places. All the land stays in the tribes. You follow me? And so really what it was was a lease. And so that's basically what Naboth is saying. I, I can't give you my land. I, you're asking me for the land. I can't give it to you. And evidently, such was the case that Ahab wanted the, the entire land. He wanted to buy it outright or, or, or do a swap with him. And he's like, I can't do that. Then my kids, you know, it's got to come back to our tribe. And so, verse 4, he went to his house, sullen, meaning he was implacable. He was resentful. He was rebellious. That's literally what the word means in the original Hebrew. And, and he was also displeased. He was angry. He was full of rage because of the word which Naboth had said to him, saying, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And notice, he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. This is what I call a royal pity party. This is what five-year-olds do when they're in Wegmans and you're going through the, 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 the line and there's candy on each side of the aisle and, and, and they try to reach for this and you tell them no and, they, and they, they, the bottom lip sticks out. And I can do it pretty good. Watch. You know, they, the bottom lip and they start getting red in the face and then they throw themselves down in aisle 10 and starts writhing like a demon-possessed child. And meanwhile, everybody's, you know, the people are coming, police officers, fire departments, trying to get this kid. I'm, I'm just kidding. But you, you've been in those situations, haven't you, when your kid goes crazy? Well, that's really what's happening here. A big, big pity party. I'm the king and all I want is a vineyard. This guy's not going to get it to me. And so he turns his face. He's, he's not even eating and he's just, he's being a brat. He's being a spoiled brat. That's really what it comes down to. Ah, but Jezebel, his wife, underline that. She swoops in on a rope at the right time. She swings in, da-da, 
and she's going to come to the rescue. She came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? (laughs) And this phrase, but Jezebel, his wife, whenever you read that phrase, if you were in a dramatic play, the mood would change The keys of the song would change from major to minor. Instead of light, there would be only darkness when her name is mentioned. And now she comes in. And and, and, uh, and so he says, he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, give me your vineyard or else if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard or I'll pay you for it. And Jezebel, his wife, said in verse 7, now you exercise authority over all Israel. Ahab, you are the king of Israel. And see, from Jezebel's perspective, because how she grew up in Ethbaal, her, her father who was the king of, uh, of Sidon, up, up in that area, Tyre and Sidon, she grew up, no doubt, with her father who was an idolater, and, and probably he just took what he wanted. There was no asking, there was no reasoning something out. If he just wanted it, he just took it. And that was what she grew up with. And now that she is the king's wife, she's thinking, grow up and be a man and just force yourself and take the land. Because that's her nature. Just force yourself upon them and take it. Take it. You exercise authority over all Israel, Ahab. Arise and eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I will give it to you. Oh, I'm so glad. She swoops in on a a rope and comes in and saves the day. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And basically what she was saying is the ends justify the means. You're the king. You should just do it. Take it for yourself. And here... Ahab, um, and especially Jezebel, again, they abused their authority, their influence to obtain another man's property. And evil and wicked is the advice that Jezebel gives to her pouting husband. And notice she says, I will give you the vineyard. Underline that phrase too. Does that sound familiar to you? It does to me. The first thing that came into my mind was Isaiah chapter 14. The same spirit that's in Jezebel is the same spirit of Satan. Remember in Isaiah chapter 14, when God is speaking, and and it's recorded for us in Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15, what we call the five I wills. These are statements that Satan has said about God. In other words, uh, God brings an indictment against this leader behind the uh, Babylonian throne, which was Satan at the time. And And God says through the prophet, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are, how are you cut to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, and here it is, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend the height of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And I love God breaks in. He says, yet you shall be brought down to hell. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And yet, this is the exact same spirit that's governing this woman, Jezebel. Nobody calls their daughter Jezebel. Have you noticed that? Have you been to a, um, a gender reveal party or something like that? When you know they, they do that, and then they name the child or something like that? You never hear Jezebel anymore. Here's why. Because she's governed by a different spirit. Nobody calls her son Judas either, uh, with good reason. 
But I love what Proverbs says, such a great instruction for us, one that we know very well. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's really what this is all about. Just, I will get that vineyard for you in my own strength. I'm going to do it for you. And notice verse 8, she wrote letters in Ahab's name. She sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. The seal that she had was more than likely his signet ring, and that ring would be on his hand. She took the ring off his finger, she grabbed it, and, and what they would do in those days is they would take the ring and they would impress it upon, and, and there would be some kind of symbol on it, and they would impress it on whatever substrate it was, whether it was was uh, a papyrus or leather or whatever it was that they would use to uh, send something. And oftentimes they would take a, uh, write something on a scroll and roll it up and then put uh, wax on where, the, 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 where it meets the paper and then take the signet ring and squish it down on it and sealing the letter, thus making somewhat of an oath or a vow. This thing was a covenant. This thing was... Uh, legally binding, if anybody opened that other than the recipient, death was your decree. That's how serious it was. Think of it like a, a notary public today or, or, or getting something where you have to register it and sign it. So she wrote the letters and notice she proclaimed a fast and set Naboth in high honor and set two men scoundrels before him. And whenever a public fasting was pronounced, that usually meant that there was something not quite right. And so in order to make the whatever wrong, to make it right, they would proclaim a fast and God would reveal who the problem was or what the problem was. And so she does this under this pretext of a fast. She brings in Naboth and she exalts him and then has two men come in. And I love just how biblical she is. She even uses the Jewish law to accomplish her filthy deed. Because cursing, and here was the thing, because before him, these two men came and they bore witness saying that you have blasphemed God and the king, and that was worthy of death according to Exodus. You shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. It goes on in Leviticus and says the same thing, you shall be put to death if you did this. So she's, she knows the Jewish law. And whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's why she sends two men and not just one. She knows the law, so she sends two men to come and offer this uh, false witness against this man who has done nothing. He's, done, he's an innocent man. And so the men of the cities, the elders who were inhabitants of the city, they did exactly what Jezebel said to them. So they're, they're just... Um, caving into her authority. And, and notice who is really in authority. Is it Ahab? Was he the one who initiated this? No, he was the one sulking against the wall, crying and kicking and screaming, and um, not able to be consoled with milk or cookies. It wasn't him who initiated this. It was her. It was her. He never stopped her or to correct her, but yet he was ultimately responsible. 
Because Ahab is accountable for letting this continue. And it's sort of like a vow in in Numbers. You might want to just write this in the margin of your Bible. Numbers chapter 30, verse 6 through 15. Because really this is what's happening here. Um, Numbers 30, verses 6 through 15. Here's really the essence of what's happening. In Numbers it says, If indeed... She takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it, then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears her, he shall make void her vow which she took and she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. And also any vow of a widow or a divorce woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement or an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. And every vow and binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all the vows and all of her agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not, but if he does, excuse me, make them void after he has heard them, then she shall bear her then he shall bear her guilt. So the idea is Ahab could have stopped her with this decree, basically. That's really what it was. It was like a a binding oath in a sense. It was a very significant letter, you know, set with a seal. And he did nothing. And so he is guilty, even though she is the one who actually uh, continued it Both of them are guilty, but Ahab is not out of the woods because he heard it and he did nothing. He was probably too busy convulsively crying and running out of Kleenex to say anything to her. But a woman, as we've been looking at the role of of Jezebel, a woman ought not to supplant her husband, right? That's what the Bible says. Do you know when God has taken his hand off of a culture, there's some signs, and this is a little bit of a recap from a couple weeks ago. But whenever children, it says in Isaiah 3.12 that when children are their oppressors and women rule over them, that is a society that has left God and now God is no longer invited into. And, and, and we see that in our own culture now. And certainly it was happening here. But the man is to be the head over the wife and she is to be submitted to him. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, you remember that one of the pronouncing of judgments upon the woman, God judged the man, the, the, the serpent, Satan, and the man and the woman. And one of the things that he said to the woman, and I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the woman because of Jezebel, but the man really messed up too. Adam did, okay? So we're all guilty in this. But when 
God pronounced judgment upon the woman. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And, and the idea here is there's something within uh, uh, the, uh, a woman, if her husband is not fulfilling what God has given him to do, his mandate from God, if he's not willing to do it, his wife will gladly step up to the plate and do it and fulfill it. And we see that today as well. And so it really behooves us, guys, to live the way God wants us to live. And it behooves us to rise to the occasion and not abdicate our God-given role to our wives, but to let God fulfill his, our, what he wants to do in us, guys, and let the, God fulfill his role in them. Because both of these roles that men and women have are so wonderful, and they're so beautiful. And when they're working rightly, boy, the marriage is popping and things are just, it's in order, and God blesses it. And when it's out of order, there is nothing but chaos and strife, and ultimately, hopefully not, but it happens all the time, even in the church, divorce. Hearts get hard. Men abdicating everything to their wives, and their wives no longer feeling like they can... And, and, and then because they know in their hearts and their pride they can do it better, they usurp the husband and then, and then continue in that and God is not blessing their home. And pretty soon the wife has got to work and the man stays home and takes care of the kids. The roles get completely reversed. And we see that all the time. But the husband is to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head over the man and over the church. It says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then Paul will go on further and say, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp the authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed and then Eve. But see, a woman's role in the family, in the church, in society is extremely important. It's beautiful. But their roles are defined by God. And if they are truly, and if they are to be truly blessed and submit to their God-given roles, their houses will be a peaceful, safe haven. It will. It'll be a safe haven rather than a battleground and a place of strife. You know, and I think of all the, uh, over the years, I've seen all the sitcoms of a man and a woman, and most of them, the man, the, the, the sitcoms, the TVs, the movies, they make the man to look like some kind of fool. They make him look like this poor guy who just doesn't have it together. He's got no smarts. He just sits around, you know, with a white t-shirt that's stained, drinking beer and barking out commands. You know, this, this kind of stigma or this caricature of a man has been totally monopolized and made men look totally crazy. Making them look lazy and unintelligent and womanizing and have am- having amoral characters. But she was a woman who was in charge, Jezebel. While her husband is crying and laying in the fetal position on the bed against the wall, she grabs the bull by the reins. She's now in charge, and she'll step up to anyone who would get in her way. If she were alive today, she'd be running for governor of New York. If she were alive today, she'd be running for governor of California. If she were alive today, she might even be in the White House, Jezebel. 
So ladies, your God-given role is precious, and we need you now more than ever. We need you now more than ever. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.